Hello! Welcome to Texas True Crime. I am your host, Jessica. I am so glad you are here with me today, and I am so glad to be back out in my garage in what used to be my husband's man room, but I've kind of taken over and made it most of where I record, and I'm so glad that it's working again this week. I don't know what the deal was, but glad to be back in my regular spot. We are going to discuss the murder of Laura Ackerson today. She was a young mother who just wanted to be able to spend time with her kids, but her ex did not want to co-parent with her. And this is one of those episodes that to me, you never listen to a true crime episode and are happy about the ending, or at least not usually. We did get to talk about Melissa Highsmith, who found her mother after being abducted for all those years. But usually it's not a happy ending, and usually they don't make you feel warm and fuzzy at the end. But I feel like today you're going to be just, it's going to make you sad, and you're also just going to want to go find this guy and punch him in the throat. He's just an ass. I don't really know any, I, I don't even know anything else to say about him. So let's just go ahead and get started. Laura Ackerson was born on April 30th, 1984, to Roger and Brenda Ackerson in Hastings, Michigan. Laura was one of seven children, and when Laura was a toddler, her parents divorced. It was an ugly divorce with lots of finger-pointing and blaming each other between the two parents, and on top of just being an ugly divorce, there was also a very ugly custody battle between the parents. So this... And it it extended throughout Laura's childhood. It wasn't just like her parents divorced as a toddler and it didn't have any lasting impact on her. But because her parents' divorce was so acrimonious and then the custody battle was so drawn out, it really did have a long lasting effect on her. And the situation clouded Laura's judgment about relationships even into her teens and adulthood. When Laura was 20, she moved to Youngsville, North Carolina to live with her brother, Jason. Even though she enjoyed being close to Jason, Youngsville was fairly small and it didn't really provide much in the way of job opportunities or entertainment for a young woman. So six months after she had moved to live with her brother, Jason, she went ahead and moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. Now, even though she moved about 30 minutes away, she and Jason still remained close and stayed in touch all the time. Laura began taking classes at a local community college while she waitressed in Applebee's restaurant in 2004, and she met her best friend, Heidi Schumacher, and the two became just very close friends almost immediately. And along with their friendship, Laura also became very close to Heidi's family. You know, she had kind of missed that tight-knit family unit growing up, and Heidi's family was that for her. And so she, you know, spent family time with them. She spent holidays with them. They really became her second family that she had craved as a child. So even after Heidi went on to pursue a career in insurance, the two stayed very close. Now, Laura began working on a career in graphic arts and left the Applebee's and started working part-time at Bassett Furniture to supplement her in income while she was going to school. In 2007, Laura met Grant Hayes. He was a local musician 
and he was very charming and about five years older than Laura. Now remember, Laura was young, she was naive, and she didn't have a lot of experience with relationships. And when she called her brother, Jason, to tell him that she'd met a great new guy, Jason was a little dubious about it because Laura's picker was a little broken, guys. She already had not had the best relationships in high school and in her early adulthood. So Jason was already a little concerned by this. And then also, Laura's other friend, Heidi, that she was so close to, would also end up feeling the same way. So Heidi had been gone at an insurance training for two months. And she returned home just in time for her very best friend, Laura's 23rd birthday. When the two friends got together for Laura's birthday celebration at a local Italian restaurant, Heidi could tell that Laura was very excited to share some news with her. She said just her whole body was humming with excitement. She was so happy and she hadn't seen her friend like that in really in a long time. So they'd barely been seated at the Italian restaurant when Laura just blurted out, surprise, I got married. Now, Heidi was very taken aback by this announcement because she hadn't even really heard about a guy or anything, but she did her best to hide her unease and how quickly all this happened and just said, well, congratulations. Because, you know, she didn't want to rain on Laura's parade, but like, just like Jason, Heidi was really worried about who this was that Laura had so quickly fallen in love with and was ready to get married already. Now, Grant was performing at the restaurant that night, and Laura introduced him to her friend that night in the parking lot after his set was over. And Heidi was not impressed and immediately got an off feeling about Grant. And she was right to feel that way. Now, Grant had a very troubled past, but he kept that hidden from Laura. When Grant was only 18, he married a woman named Emily Lubbers, and Grant used her as his inspiration for a lot of her his very early songs that he wrote. But Grant didn't like to work, and in fact, he really thought that most jobs were just beneath him, and his marriage soon fell apart because his wife did not want to be the person paying all the bills and fully supporting him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When the couple divorced, Grant became depressed and sought treatment. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and also treated for depression. For a time, Grant took his medications as prescribed and seemed to be doing okay. But he soon became obsessed with Tupac Shakur and began quoting Tupac lyrics like some people quote scripture from the Bible. He would tell all these tales and relate his personal experience in his life 
to stories that he had heard Tupac Shakur talk about in interviews and things. So friends really were kind of concerned about him because it was bizarre behavior. He also got heavily into drugs and alcohol. He first started smoking marijuana and then moved on to heroin and cocaine. But the turning point was when someone introduced him to 2CE, a synthetic hallucinogenic that is much stronger than LSD. And Grant was hooked immediately. He loved the hallucinations that the drug gave him. And in fact, he got to where he spent most of his day high. And a friend said that once he found the 2CE, Grant truly lost himself. He said, you know, that he couldn't really even go, you couldn't even sit down with him at that point and have a conversation because he was just so out of it. He would just trail off into nothing. Now, he also quit taking his prescribed meds and just began using the drugs to self-medicate. He had delusions of grandeur and believed that he was a time traveler. And he also thought that aliens were here on Earth and they were following him around. So, of course, he kept all this under wraps when he first met Laura. But as soon as they got married and moved in together, the honeymoon period was over. Because fairly soon after that, Laura began to see the cracks in Grant's charming personality. He told her that Armageddon was coming and that the aliens were following him around and that they were trying to stage a coup to take over the United States government. He said that he had to get enough cash to buy his way onto an alien ship so that he could be safe because he was convinced that when this Armageddon came, the aliens were going to take over and that Rich people, famous people, politicians were either going to get on the alien ships and join the aliens and leave, or they had created this underground system of tunnels and things where they would be safe from the attack on Earth. I mean, bizarro. But Laura also knew that she couldn't disagree with him or call him out on it because she'd already seen that when he was like this, his temper was very volatile. So she tried to make the best of things and hoped that it was going to get better. By this time, Grant had also started working on isolating Laura from her friends and family. She spoke with Heidi and her brother Jason, but it was in secret because not long after Grant and Laura got married, he told her he didn't approve of them because they were dumb and they were stupid and not good enough for Laura. And he just didn't want her being around those people anymore. Now let's think about this. This is her brother and her very best friend. And her brother said he got to where he felt like he was a spy because all the phone calls had to be timed or they had to meet places where Grant couldn't find them just so they could remain in touch. And it was the same way for Heidi also. And of course, that is very typical behavior in abusive relationships that abusers want their person isolated isolated, sorry, so that they can keep them dependent on them. So not only was Grant mentally abusive, but he was also physically abusive. He had Laura completely under his thumb. Now, Laura became pregnant with their first son, and now she really felt trapped in the relationship. She's going to have a baby with Grant, she didn't have that much self-esteem to begin with when she got into the relationship with Grant. And he very successfully 
in a short period of time managed to erode what little self-assurance, self-confidence that she had. So she really was. She was, at this point, felt very trapped. And it wasn't long after that Grant asked her to be in a polygamous relationship because that was another thing. He needed to populate the earth with as many of his children as possible because that was going to help solve this Armageddon. I mean, y'all, he's cray cray. So Laura, of course, was appalled at this idea and refused. So Grant just said, fine, he'd just go ahead and start having affairs with the other women anyway, because this was something he had to do. So whether she liked it or not, he was just going to start sleeping with other women. Now, Laura was crushed, but yet again, she was feeling like she had no say-so. So she, she didn't say anything about it. But things began to deteriorate even more in their relationship as Grant's drug use and abuse of Laura got even worse. And of course, the more drugs he used, the worse the abuse was. And it really had gotten to where, you know, they didn't have a lot to begin with. He's a struggling musician and he refused to get any other kind of real job. And Laura was supposed to have a job, but then he wanted her at his beck and call. So they had practically nothing. And then he's blowing all of his money on drugs. It was a dire situation. But Grant met this guy and he really liked Grant's music. He liked the vibe. And so he offered Grant a chance to go to the Virgin Islands to pursue his music career there. And Grant thought that his style of music was going to be better suited to the Virgin Islands because he kind of had a reggae style. So he thought it would go better. So Grant agreed and they thought it was going to help them out. But Laura remained in Raleigh, North Carolina with their son because they had a newborn. So she, you know, she was like, I really need to stay here where we, where his pediatrician is, where his doctors are, instead of just picking up and moving to St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. Well, of course, Grant just thought that meant it was prime time for him. While he was there, he started an affair with a woman named Amanda. And he told Laura that there was nothing between them. Amanda was just nice and did his laundry and fed him all the time. Uh, right, because that's women are just waiting around to do your laundry and feed you. Whatever. While Grant was in the islands, Laura finally got up the nerve to leave Grant. He was gone. She didn't feel like he had as much control over her. And so she called her friend Heidi to ask her for help. Heidi, Heidi of course, was thrilled at this. And they made a plan to get Laura away from Raleigh. And she was going to go and spend some time with Heidi's parents. And she was going to stay with them for a little bit until they figured out what she could do. But at least she would be out of the apartment where she and Grant had lived and making a plan. But Laura started feeling sick. And so Heidi took her to Planned Parenthood. And Laura found out that she was pregnant again with the couple's second son. So Laura decided the best thing to do was to try to make it work with Grant. So she called him and told him that she was pregnant and that she was coming to be with him in St. John. He 
was thrilled with this and told her that he would break things off with that other woman and it was done. Well, we all know where this is going. He never quit seeing this woman. Well, as soon as Laura got to St. Thomas, things were just as bad on the island as they were in North Carolina. Their second son was born and he was very sick. He actually had a birth defect that became very life-threatening and he needed a very extensive surgery where they had to put a stent in between his kidney and his bladder. So things were bad in on the island. So Laura went back to Raleigh because that was where the surgery could be done safely and with, with the baby's doctors and everything. So Laura left Grant on the island where Grant's just living it up, acting like he has no responsibilities. And he's still with Amanda. Remember her, the one who just does his laundry and feeds him for the fun of it? Well, Laura moved into a rental property owned by Grant's parents. And they didn't charge her any rent. They just asked her to please clean the daycare system, daycare center that they owned. Would she please just clean it at night? And if she would do that, then she could live in their rental property for free. Now, Grant's parents also recognized his problems and they told her that she needed to get away from him. So his family also recognized that everything was bad and that he just was not really a part of reality, you know? So in 2009, Laura officially split from Grant and an ugly custody battle began in 2010. Now, Grant married Amanda, Island Lady, in April of 2010. And by June of 2010, Grant was awarded temporary custody of both of their young sons. At the time, and I know everyone's going, what? How is this even possible? Well, here's the thing. Laura was unemployed. And Grant was technically employed and seemed to be the more stable of the two parents. He was married. He had a job. And so it was temporary, temporarily given to Grant. Well, Laura, so Laura got the boys on the weekends and Grant had the boys during the week. Now, Amanda and Laura did not get along well at all. I mean, no surprise. This woman had been having an affair behind Laura's back all this time. And now they're married and they had a newborn daughter of their own. So I'm sure it was just like a huge slap in the face. Grant had treated her so horribly, cheated on her, and now he's married and has another baby. And even with all of his horrible behavior, he gets custody of their children. So because Laura and Amanda were not on good terms. Instead of meeting at each other's houses, Laura and Grant would meet every Friday at five o'clock at a gas station in Wilson, North Carolina to make the custody exchange with the boys. Now, Laura had been working very hard to get her boys back. She had started her own marketing business with a friend named Siobhan Mathis, and she was also attending college at Lenore Community College, working on some more things so that she could get her life even more stable so that she could get custody of her boys. And she didn't even necessarily want full custody, but she at least wanted joint custody so that she had equal rights with her children. 
Now, all of Laura's friends and family knew how devoted she was to her children. They were the center of her universe. There was no way that she was going to do anything to jeopardize her time with her boys or being able to get them back. And Laura felt pretty confident that she was going to get either joint custody or even possibly full custody of the boys at their upcoming custody hearing that was scheduled for August 15th, 2011. So it was right around the corner. The boys, I mean the boys, I'm sorry, the adults both had to undergo a psych evaluation through the court. Now Laura's went fine, but Grant's evaluation did not go well for him. Forensic psychologist Dr. Ginger Calloway performed the evaluation and she recommended that Grant seek further evaluation and counseling because he needed help because he had some serious personality problems. Well, this of course just made Grant so mad because we know he's very full of himself. He thinks that, you know, he thinks that aliens are coming to help him escape Armageddon and he needs to be populating the earth with more of his offspring. So that someone would suggest that he wasn't the right person to be raising his kids, that just really made him mad. So on July 12th, 2011, Laura received an email from Grant. He asked her if she would like to see the boys for a midweek visit. Now, this was very unusual for Grant. He never offered any bits of kindness to Laura and sure never let her have midweek visits. But of course, she jumped at the chance to see her boys in the middle of the week. The other thing that was interesting about this was that instead of meeting at the gas station, he said, just come to the apartment to pick the boys up. There's no need for us to drive to the gas station. So this caught her off guard, but Laura was hopeful. And she took this as a good positive sign that things were getting better. So she said yes. Laura told her friend and business partner, Siobhan Mathis, that she was going to see the boys that afternoon. And then they scheduled a meeting for later that night at nine o'clock. But Laura never showed up for the meeting. And Siobhan knew that this was not like Laura at all and became very concerned for her friend, especially when she tried to get in touch with Laura and couldn't even reach her by phone. So on July 13th, the next day, when she didn't also show up for work in person, Siobhan reported her missing. The police began the search for Laura right away. Luckily, this wasn't one of those times where they said, oh, she'll turn up. They began the search right away. And they knew that Grant Hayes was the last person to see Laura alive, so they started with him. Now, Grant claimed that Laura arrived at the apartment at 6.30 that evening, picked up the boys, and dropped them off at 9.30 that night. Investigators did not mess around. They obtained Laura's phone records immediately and then were suspicious of Grant right away. You see, her phone records showed that she made her last phone call at 419 p.m. on July 12th, the day she was supposed to pick up the boys. And she left a message for her friend Siobhan. And in that message, she said that she was on her way to pick up the boys and that she should see her later that evening. Now, with that timeline at 419, that meant that Laura should have arrived to pick the boys up at 5, not 630. So that already created a pretty significant gap in the timeline. Well, six days later, 
Laura's car, Laura didn't show up, obviously, that we wouldn't be having this podcast, would we? So six days later, Laura's car was found in an apartment complex parking lot, not far from Grant and Amanda's apartment. And I will post a picture from Google Maps to show you just how close the parking lot complex, apartment complex parking lot was from where Grant and Amanda's apartment was. It was definitely walking distance if you wanted to park a car and then walk back over to your own house. It would have been very easy to do. Another thing that caught detectives' attention about where her car was found was that Grant and Laura had actually lived in that apartment complex before they separated. So it was a spot that Grant was very familiar with. Officers searched the car and it was surprisingly clean. In fact, the text said that it appeared to have been wiped down before it was left there. And I don't know about y'all, but I have two kids. Laura had two kids. There is always stuff left in my car. I can wipe it down and if they are in there for two seconds or two hours, there is stuff left in that car. So for it to be clean like that, that's shocking. So on July 20th, 2011, a search warrant was issued for Grant and Amanda's apartment. Detectives called Grant to ask if they could come to his apartment, but he said no because they were out of town on vacation. So police went over to the apartment complex anyway and asked the manager to let them in. And as soon as the door was opened, the team was hit with the smell of bleach. So, of course, right away, investigators, you know, warning bells everywhere, right? Well, right next door, right next to the front door was a large bleach stain on the carpet. And as the investigators made it through the apartment, they only became more suspicious. The bathroom was completely spotless and empty. And the smell of bleach was even stronger in the bathroom than it had been when they first walked in the apartment. There was no shower curtain, no shower rod. There were no towels or bath mats of any kind in the bathroom. And also, no shampoo, no conditioner, no soap, nothing in the bathtub. The bathroom was bare. All the normal things that you would think of where a family lives in a house, lives in an apartment, shares a bathroom, it was all missing. And investigators found it very odd that the bathroom was so spotlessly clean But the rest of the apartment did not match that level of cleanliness. So it wasn't like there was just some fanatic who, you know, Grant or Amanda were just fanatics and cleaned their apartment religiously. It was just that one area. So when Tex processed the bathroom, there wasn't a hair. There wasn't a drop of blood. Not even one tiny bit of DNA in there. And kind of back to what I said about the car. You know... There wasn't even anything from the family. So, you know, two adults, three kids, they're all using the bathroom. There's nothing in there. I mean, there's always a sign of us at my house. You know, two kids, a husband, two dogs. It doesn't matter if you clean every single second of the day. There's always a sign that someone's been there. Now, another thing that seemed very conspicuous was in the kitchen they found a handwritten note just left out on the counter in plain sight. And it said that Laura was giving complete custody to Grant and Amanda for $25,000. Now, police had already talked to Laura's friends and family, and they knew that this would never fly with Laura. She wasn't going to give her children up for any amount of money. 
And when police started looking for Grant to question him, they found out that not only was he on a vacation, but he was 1,200 miles away from North Carolina in Richmond, Texas with Amanda and their three kids. Now, don't you think it's odd that they have these young children, one of them is a one-month-old baby, and his ex is missing, and they just decide they're going to hop in the car and drive down to Texas. That seems odd. Police found out that Grant and Amanda had also rented a U-Haul trailer on the way out of town. Now, they said it was to take an antique hutch to Amanda's sister, but Amanda's sister said they'd been talking about moving that hutch for forever. It wasn't like this was some planned event. And it wasn't even like it was a huge rush or anything. But detectives, and of course, detectives in North Carolina, they weren't buying this story. So they sent officers to Texas to Amanda's sister's house. Now, Amanda's sister was named Karen Berry. And investigators knocked on the door. And as soon as Karen opened the door, She looked at the officers, and the first thing she said was, before I talk to you, I need to pray. Now, if that doesn't send up warning signals, I don't know what does. Hold on a second, officers. I need to get right with the Lord before I tell you anything about my sister. Hmm. I mean, to me, that pretty much seals the deal that she's about to give you some big information right there, and it's probably not going to be good information. So Karen spoke freely to the detectives. And at first, she said their visit was very normal. Grant, Amanda, and the children brought the hutch like they said they were going to. But then not long after that, they started asking her all these bizarre questions. They wanted to know if there were feral hogs near Karen's property. And would the hogs eat a person? They also wanted to know if there were alligators that lived in Oyster Creek. And if the alligators would eat a person if the person was in the water. And of course, this creek was conveniently located right across the road from Karen's house. Now, Karen became very suspicious of all these questions they were asking and thought it was very odd that they just spontaneously made this trip with three small children to bring this hutch. And like I said earlier, it wasn't a planned trip. So when Fort Bend County Sheriff's Captain Brad Witchard first arrived at the property, because now we've got North Carolina officers, and now Texas is involved too. So he noticed he came, and the very first thing he noticed when he came to the property was there were two brand new coolers sitting on the porch. They were so new that the labels were still stuck to them, able to read, glossy, shiny. These were not coolers that had been banging around in someone's trunk or something for a while. So The sheriff's captain asked Karen, he was like, you know, where did these coolers come from? And Karen said, oh, Grant and Amanda brought the coolers with them from North Carolina. They had them in the U-Haul and they left them behind. So detectives also thought that was weird because they brought, had these brand new coolers, brought them in the U-Haul and then just left them at Karen's house. So it wasn't like they were using them to haul snacks or anything for the kids. Well, I'm sure you're already suspecting why they had those coolers. And I'm going to tell you, Amanda is a great sister because, you know, not only does she show up out of the blue at her sister's house asking all these bizarre questions, 
but she just leaves her two coolers sitting on the porch that she used to transport Laura's body in. So when police asked Karen if she thought that Laura was there, Karen said, yes, I'm afraid that she is. Karen said that she believed that Grant and Amanda had done something to Laura, but that she did not know what. But she did tell detectives that the couple had asked her to borrow her boat. They loaded the two coolers onto the boat, and then they said they needed to go to Oyster Creek and check it out. Well, when they came back, they had the coolers, but they were surprisingly light and empty compared to when they came back. And the coolers had contained Laura's dismembered body. Grant and Amanda had got into the boat, went on to Oyster Creek, and just dropped body parts one by one into the creek. How disgusting and despicable is that? So investigators began their search, but were only able to recover two parts of Laura's torso and one part of one leg. So they called in the dive team from the Houston Police Department for extra help. Now the water was muddy and murky. They couldn't see anything. They couldn't even see their hands in front of their faces. So they changed tactics and started pulling lily pads out of the water, hoping to also pull body parts out at the same time. Because the vegetation in the creek was so thick that divers couldn't even get in between the plants to swim. But what they could do is smell decomposition. And they followed that smell and continued to pull lily pads as the smell got stronger. One diver found what he first thought was a leg, but as he turned it over, he discovered that it was Laura's head. Something was off with the consistency of the flesh even though it had been in the water. And as they looked at her teeth, they realized that her teeth showed signs of acid etching. Now they soon figured out that Grant and Amanda had tried to dissolve Laura's head in a bucket of muriatic acid. But these two are not smart about anything they did. They sent warning signs up to everybody left and right. Grant was caught on camera in a Home Depot in Texas buying gallons upon gallons of muriatic acid. Police questioned the Home Depot employees, and they said that Grant told them he was going to use the acid to clean the soil in a hog pen. Then, not far from Karen's house in the woods, police found all the empty jugs of over eight gallons of muriatic acid dumped in the brush. The funny thing is, they dumped their trash right across from where a camera was set up to catch people dumping trash illegally. That's karma, y'all. The whole thing was right there on camera. Amanda Hayes is seen pulling up in a black truck, dumping all the trash, and driving away. And at one point, her full face is looking directly at the camera. Now, they were not able to recover all of Laura's remains. And because of this, they were not able to give a definite cause of death, but the medical examiner believes she was strangled and then possibly stabbed in the neck because there was a puncture wound in her neck. Now, Laura's torso had very clean cuts on it. Her torso had been basically cut in half, and then there were also very clean cuts in the neck area. Police knew if they could find the tool that Grant and Amanda used to dismember Laura's body, it would seal their case against Grant and Amanda. Now, here we go again. 
not smart. They found footage of Grant at a local Walmart in North Carolina just hours after Laura was murdered. It shows him purchasing a reciprocating saw. If you aren't familiar with what a reciprocating saw is, it's a power saw. Now, if you watch the video footage, it's going to really piss you off because he's in no hurry at all. He's just strolling through the store. And at one point, he's standing in the aisle looking at all the saws. He even stops an employee and asks questions about the different saws. Really, dude? Is this the time for comparison shopping? I mean, what are you doing? Are you standing there thinking which saw would be the best to cut up my ex? I cannot. I just cannot with this person. The saw was never recovered, so the medical examiner purchased the same saw Grant purchased and was able to replicate the cuts that were made on Laura's body. He also, so that, of course, made it very easy for them to tie Grant and Amanda to the murder. Now, Grant also bought several large duffel bags, but he returned those. I guess he changed his mind about using them. I don't know. Maybe they weren't in the budget. Who knows? And then, of course, there's footage of him buying the coolers, too. These two did not take any care whatsoever to conceal anything they did after they killed Laura. I don't know if it's because they were arrogant or if Grant's delusions just made him believe that he wasn't going to get caught. I don't know. At the couple's apartment complex, also... There was only one set of dumpsters for residents to take their trash to. So police also searched the dumpsters. And they found all three missing bathroom rugs, the shower curtain, the shower rod, latex gloves, face masks, and empty ice bags all right there in the dumpster. They were so lazy they didn't even bother trying to take all the trash somewhere else. The latex gloves have blood stains on them, and the blood was a match for Laura's. So, they arrested Grant and Amanda and charged them both with first-degree murder. When they brought Grant in for questioning, the detectives told him they were going to give him his Miranda rights. And they asked him if he was familiar with what Miranda rights were, and he said no, but I dated her once. So, everything was just a joke to him. Now, investigators soon figured out the main motive for murdering Laura was the upcoming custody hearing. It was obvious that Grant was not going to receive full custody of the children like he wanted, and investigators believed that Amanda just wanted things to be over. They were in huge financial debt because of all of the legal fees. The couple had been selling jewelry and other things to help them pay their bills, and the police also found out that they were being kicked out of their apartment because they hadn't been paying their rent. So there was no way that they had given... Laura $25,000 or could have even given Laura $25,000 if they wanted to for custody of the kids, which of course makes them look even worse to detectives. So Grant and Amanda had separate trials and Grant claimed that Amanda and Laura got into a fight that night at the apartment and killed Laura on an accident. And he was just being a good husband and helping Amanda by covering things up. Cause you know, that's what you do when you're a good supportive husband. You help your wife cover up murder. Grant posted all of his music on YouTube. And a lot of it was very angry, negative music. And in one song named Broomstick Rider, it is a song about a man killing his wife. Now, they played the song in court. They put the lyrics up on a screen for everyone to read. 
And as you read the lyrics, it's obvious that he wrote this song about Laura. And while the song plays, Grant starts nodding his head in time to the music. And he just got more and more into the song as it played. He was just rocking out in the courtroom, showed no remorse whatsoever. And I just want to read you the chorus to Broomstick Rider. My baby's mama don't talk to me. Don't want your drama. I got two kids by you. I can't take any more from you. I would wake up every morning hoping one of us would go, but not me because I'm paying the bills. Find another sugar daddy and a wallet with bills because I know that you will when you finish trying to take my kids. That's how you is. And then she wants me to pay her. You've lost your you've lost your damn mind. I put a price tag on your head. That's right. You must have told your attorney I got intentions of killing you. What? Might stop me, but my bullets will get you soon. I've got my goons from way back. They still owe me money. Told them you stayed at my mom's crib. Now ain't that funny? So, listen to those lyrics. And that's not even the whole song. It the it's awful. It's awful if you read the whole thing. Now, Amanda claimed at her trial that she had nothing to do with any of this. And at first, she didn't even know that Laura was dead until they got to Texas. But she said she was scared of Grant and thought he would kill her too if she didn't go along with everything he said. No one in the courtroom was buying it. On September 16, 2013, Grant Hayes was found guilty of first-degree murder. And he was sentenced to life without parole in North Carolina. On February 19th, 2014, Amanda Hayes was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 13 to 16 years in jail in North Carolina. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand why it was such a short amount of time in North Carolina, but Texas then stepped in and convicted Amanda of tampering with a corpse and sentenced her to 20 years in a Texas prison. But that 20 years won't even start until she's completed her until she's completed her sentence in North Carolina. So basically she's going to end up with a life sentence or really close to one also. Thank you, Texas. Now, after Grant was convicted, he was asked why he dismembered Laura's body. And he just simply said, how else was I supposed to get her out of the apartment? Disgusting. Amanda Hayes filed for divorce from Grant in October of 2014 while they were both in prison. And Laura and Grant's two sons are being raised by Grant's parents along with Amanda and Grant's daughter. This whole case makes me mad, and it's also heartbreaking. Those children don't have any parents anymore because of the selfishness of two people and the just delusions that Grant Hayes deserved anything and everything he ever wanted. It's just so so very sad. Thank you for listening today. I am so glad you came to listen with me. And please remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Also, tell a friend about the podcast and let them know that you enjoy listening. I would love to hear from all of you. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod. You can also find me on Facebook now at Texas True Crime, or you can email me at Texas True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think, any ideas about other cases you're interested in, or just thoughts or thoughts on any other true crime going on. Um, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.